Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist with Tasting Menu, a selection of the tastiest morsels from the stories in this week's edition. I'm Anne McElvoy, Senior Editor. And on the menu we have Generation Triple X, Picasso's dazzling sculptures, and we bid farewell to a chronicler of the Beverly Hills high life. But first, Dirty Secrets was our cover line. Volkswagen, a car brand which has long touted its green credentials, made a shocking confession this week. The German carmaker has admitted that it installed software on 11 million of its diesel cars worldwide, which allowed them to pass America's stringent NOx emissions tests. So it turns out that Volkswagen's vehicles were far from squeaky clean. But once the cars were out of the laboratory, the software deactivated their emission controls and they began to spew out fumes at up to 40 times the permitted level. The damage to the company is immense. Its chief executive, Martin Winterkorn, has resigned and the company is setting aside 6.5 billion euros, that's $7.3 billion, to cover the coming financial hit. But investors fear worse. In the first four trading days since the scandal broke on September 18th, VW's shares fell by one-third, cutting its value by 26 billion euros. That's a long way from the lofty and profitable goals the company once had. Selling large numbers of clean diesels was central to VW's scheme for cracking the American market, a weak spot, which in turn was a vital part of the plan to overtake Toyota of Japan as the world's largest car maker. But maybe even these smoggiest of clouds has a silver lining. Some fear that this may be the death of diesel. So be it. There is still scope to improve the venerable petrol engine and to switch to cleaner cars that run on methane, hydrogen and electricity, or are hybrids. If VW's behaviour hastens diesel's death, it may lead at last, after so many false starts, to the beginning of the electric car age. Steering away now from scandalous behaviour in the auto industry to scandalous behaviour on the web, our international section looked at the world of online pornography. In the 1990s, when the internet was for nerds, as many as half of all web searches were for sexually explicit material. That share has fallen, but only because everything from home buying to job hunting has moved online. Pornography still accounts for more than a tenth of all searches. And because of smartphones, tablets and laptops, it can be accessed privately just about anywhere. The result is that many teenagers today have seen a greater number and variety of sex acts than the most debauched Mughal emperor managed in a lifetime. In an attempt to stem the tide of smut, parents and governments are turning to porn blockers. 
Britain's government wants internet service providers to activate them as the default. This will help stop younger children from stumbling across porn. In the end, though, it looks like a losing battle. But many older ones will seek it out, and most will find it, no matter what obstacles are put in their way. If you do not know what a VPN is, ask a teenager. It's time we argue to talk about the birds, the bees, and the triple X. Above all, parents need to educate themselves about pornography and to talk candidly to their children about how little justice it does to one of life's great pleasures. That will be difficult for many, but the best weapon against misinformation is the truth, not an embarrassed silence. We move on now to our America section, which looked at the uncomfortable reception often given to Muslims in America's South. Muslims are drawn to the South for the same reasons as other newcomers. The low cost of living, nice weather, and professional and technical jobs. But some of the anti-Muslim voices are coming from high positions. Strikingly, they include not just shock jocks, Quran-burning cranks, and small-town officials such as the sheriff in Tennessee, who recently described Islam as communism with a god, and worried that Muslims aim to take over the country. Islamophobia is also widespread in mainstream Southern politics, especially among Republicans. And they're quick to throw the book at a perceived enemy. The South accounts for six of the ten states that have passed laws to prevent the application of foreign, i.e., Sharia statutes in court, a response to a threat that does not really exist. Along with the construction of new mosques, the spectre of Sharia is Southern Islamophobes' main theme. Yet Muslims and Southern conservatives are in some ways rather alike. It is not just the shared emphasis on hospitality. Both have old-fashioned family values and traditional attitudes to marriage. Some scholars of Islam think it supports the idea of limited, unstifling government. I like the South, says Mr. Balul, the long-suffering Imam of Murfreesboro. I like that they care about religion. Several thousand miles to the east, our business section looked at China and the difficulties faced by foreign tech firms in that country. Chinese officials have long pursued a policy of indigenous innovation, in which they have tried to force multinationals to transfer technology to local champions. This effort had largely failed, sparking some hope that more open policies might emerge in its stead. However, American mischief-making has given the upper hand to protectionist forces in the Middle Kingdom. Although China's cyber snooping and its techno-nationalism are worrying, America is hardly blameless on this front. The blacklisting in 2012 of Huawei, a Chinese telecoms equipment firm, by an American congressional committee, was seen as deeply unfair. The congressman made sweeping accusations of spying, but presented no evidence. And China has reacted by squeezing foreign tech firms in various ways. Regulators have tried, for example, to get local banks to use only IT deemed safe and controllable. But tech companies have resisted. Foreign firms say this will force them to turn over their software source codes and encryption keys to the government. The uproar seems for now to have made officials put off implementing these rules. 
tech companies have been under fire for being overwhelmingly male. But an article in our finance section explained that gender imbalance is still the norm in many of the world's workplaces. Joan Rivers, a comedian who died last year, did not let chores get in the way of a career in show business. I hate housework, she joked. You make the beds, you do the dishes... And six months later, you have to start all over again. But escape from unpaid drudgery into paid work looks like a distant prospect for many women. In South Asia, for instance, women carry out up to 90% of unpaid care work, including cooking, cleaning and looking after children and the elderly. They are far less visible than men in work outside the home. The key to getting more women into work begins with their schooling. Women whose level of education is on a par with men are more likely to find well-paid jobs in technical professions. They are also more likely to share unpaid work more equitably with men, or at least to be able to claim, as Rivers did, that the dullest chores can wait for another six months. Our books and arts section revisited a familiar figure, Picasso, but it concluded that the Spanish artist was as inspiring a sculptor as he was a painter. In 1971, the 90-year-old Pablo Picasso described a catalogue of his sculpture as the chronicle of an unknown civilization. The mystery was mostly of his own making. Trained as a painter, he turned to sculpture from an inner compulsion, using the medium to explore the deeper reaches of his psyche, but keeping the results largely hidden from public view. But they were not to remain out of the public view for long, and now a large number are on display in New York. One of the most exhilarating aspects of Picasso's sculpture, a new show that has just opened at MoMA, is to see with what nonchalance he manages to overturn millennia of artistic practice. Also on display are Picasso's many small pieces with some big ideas. Sheet metal maquettes that Picasso fabricated with the help of his childhood friend Julio González, intended for a monument to Guillaume Apollinaire, a French poet and critic, marked another transformation in the way sculpture is conceived, one in which void as well as solid is given a starring role and where the sculpture merges seamlessly with its environment. From a Spanish maestro now to a Beverly Hills maven. And our final story comes from the obituary section, which looked back at the life of Jackie Collins, novelist of California's ritziest zip code. When Jackie C. strode into the polo lounge of the Beverly Hills Hotel, half the room stood up to greet her. Not so hard to see why. A lush mane of dark hair, expertly teased out, impeccable but understated makeup, an effortlessly classy black jacket and slacks strappy high-heeled sandals. A wide but simple swathe of Cartier diamonds completed the look. Diamonds always helped. Well, me too, but there was probably no one in the room who knew Hollywood better. She was its resident anthropologist, anatomizer, and guide. The Grill for lunch, Mr Chow's or Chicone's for dinner, Soho House for the best view of the whole staggeringly beautiful city of Los Angeles. Neiman Marcus in Beverly Hills for shoes and jewels. But the real reason she carried all before her in one of the most competitive cities on earth was her writing. There were 32 books in all, with titles like The Stud, The Bitch, Lethal Seduction and Hollywood Divorces. She had sold half a billion of them worldwide. And her heroines were insatiable. Her favourite, Lucky Santangelo, star of her grittier mafia novels, ended up running a chain of casinos in Las Vegas. 
Channeling her, Jackie C sported oversized Gucci bags that might just conceal a gun and reacted to an attempted carjack by reversing at speed. Jackie Collins' pen was mightier than all the Botox in Beverly Hills. Writing gave her a power like no one else's, the ultimate aphrodisiac. Glancing now around the hotel lounge, taking in the bizarre bimbos and blonde toy boys and producers with gold chains in their chest hair, she knew she exuded more sex appeal than all of them together. And as for the bulging tight trousers of the gloriously handsome Italian waiter who bent to serve her, that careless come-on swivel of the hips... Well, it's definitely time that we swivelled our hips out of the door. I'm Anne McElvoy. That was our tasting menu. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist 